Hi Heart, Chapter 21 Before the advent of the flashlight, even Genghis Khan's armies would have failed to overwhelm the Tsutuhil as they retreated into the same maze of endless natural passageways permeating the Atitlan underground. Like the Huichol Indian nation up in highland Mexico, the Tsutuhil were one of the few indigenous populations in the world never to be fully conquered by the invading hordes. They were entirely too remote, tough, historically insignificant, and, when necessary, entirely well-hidden. My young guide proved to be a champ, never faltering when she came to a splitting of the paths. She knew by heart to continue straight or left or right. In the hour or so that she led me through the darkness, she didn't hesitate once, except when a solitary point of light appeared ahead of us, someone else in here with a flashlight. Lucita immediately turned off her light, and the other light went off at almost the same instant. Standing behind her in the darkness, I saw the other light flash quickly on and off, on and off again, some signal that went on for ten or twelve flashes and then stopped. Lucita waited a moment, then flashed a simple code back. Then she and the other light-bearer turned on their flashlights at the same time and passed each other without speaking. The tunnel headed along a downhill curve, leveled out and turned the other direction, then wound its way uphill. Finally, there was light again up ahead, and this time it was real sunlight. We emerged, blinking against the brightness of midday. Below in the distance, back to our left, was the town of Santiago. I judged that we'd gone several miles around the lake during our underground trekking. Beautiful, I said to the girl in Spanish. She glanced hotly at me. All this, she muttered. If El Diablo has his way, we'll be taken from us. El Diablo, I said. You mean Bernardo? I have heard, she said at me accusingly, that you yourself were in his presence. Yeah, we banged heads yesterday. Why did you not slaughter him? Hey, you heard what Arbierta said, I reacted. No more judging. Bah, she shouted back. Abierta is an old woman. She has given up the fight. But I will fight them. You also must have the fighting spirit, or you are not worthy. Worthy of what? You know exactly what, she said. She turned and headed off along the overgrown slope. The trail at first led us down toward the lake. I saw a few signs of habitation, only patches of subsistence gardening. The volcano's steep slopes ran right down to the lake here, offering little room for even subsistence farming. We passed a couple of solitary Indians, who looked at my Tsutuhil clothes and gringo eyes and said nothing, but they all nodded silently to Lucita. Now and then I caught a glimpse of the lake through the foliage, Finally, Lucita eased up, chose a secluded spot, 
sat down cross-legged and opened her pack and brought out fresh tortillas, cheese, and dried meat. She was a peculiarly charming girl, her mouth slightly off-center. So you know Mahalena, I said to her as we munched. She eyed me, chewing on a piece of tough meat. She's my aunt and my teacher, she said, so of course I know her. Your father and mother live in Santiago, I queried. They are both dead. Ah, sorry to hear that. Only a fool is sorry, she retorted. They were killed by Quemado, by his soldiers, last year, when they came into the plaza and opened fire. Seven people were murdered. Have you met that other devil? Uh, Quemado? Yeah, I have. And you did not kill him? Lucita, I don't kill people. Then they will kill you, she told me. I had nothing to say to that. I kept looking behind us, hoping Mahi would catch up, but no such luck. We continued our trek, and half an hour later came to a lush region where our progress on the seldom-used trail was slowed by bogs and boulders and overgrown vines. Then, finally, the trail opened up onto a clearing that ran down right to a small, isolated bay. On the left, I spied an overgrown, abandoned graveyard, and back from the beautiful bay a hundred feet or so were the ruins of a big Latino villa, its tile roofs mostly caved in and gardens barely visible under jungle growth. Lucita headed fast down the trail. I followed, still expecting Mahalena to catch up with us at any moment. Somehow I was damn pleased that the jade piece hadn't proven of value, at least to Rabierta. I was carrying the thing wrapped in a cloth in my backpack. I had no idea what would happen next, but I admit I was hooked. I had to see this through, and maybe even help if I could. Somehow, I deeply trusted Abierta. Lucita slowed as she approached the graveyard, then stopped in an open grassy space, surrounded by carved stones with rough Spanish inscriptions on some of them, others with scratched notations in some language I wasn't familiar with. So, who lived here? I asked. Lowland people, she answered. All gone. Alejandro, long before I was born, he put a curse on them, because they violated this sacred ground. So, where's Mahalena? You will sit here, she told me. She will come. I go now. She started to walk away. Not wanting to be left alone in this spooky place, I reached and grabbed her arm. It was the first time we'd touched, since she'd felt me with her fingers to make sure I was flesh and blood, and now she seemed stunned by my grip, as if expecting something terrible to hit her. Please, I said, stay with me until she comes. She didn't respond. When I let go of her arm, she immediately took several stumbling steps back. No calito, she finally muttered. You must wake up, or you die. And if you die, perhaps we all die. I can help you no more. Please, let me go away from here. 
All right, then. Go. She reached out and grabbed my hand, I guess to touch me just one more time, then turned and took off running for all she was worth, across the meadow, into the jungle, and gone. All alone, I felt both acutely nervous and also somehow eager, glancing around and expecting Mahi to appear at any moment. But time went by, and no one at all appeared. Unable to hold still, I went walking around the remains of what must have been a fancy estate, probably a vacation retreat for a wealthy Guatemala City family. I turned to go back to the graveyard, but suddenly there was someone right there with me, just fifteen feet away, stepping out of the shadows and silently staring at me. Definitely not Mahi. Um, who are you? I muttered in Spanish. The old native guy said something in Sutuhil. I now recognized the general sound of that language. But before I could say anything back in Spanish, he came fast toward me. Grabbing me by the arm, he pointed up to the steep hill behind us. We go there, he said in tense Spanish. Assuming Mahalena had somehow sent this guy, I went along with him, past the graveyard and along a vague trail, and then up a rugged boulder-strewn hillside. For ten minutes or so, we scrambled uphill. Then the old man paused and half-pushed me over toward a small, relatively flat area where it looked like people had had a campfire recently. I looked up the slope and saw sharp cliffs above us where the volcano would be difficult to climb. As the old man sat down, I finally got a good look at the fellow. He was small but still strong, with a definite dominant air and slight snarl across his lips. Wearing some kind of traditional garb, an unusually embroidered shirt and skirt, he also sported a wide woven headband with crude clay objects dangling from it. I met his gaze, hopefully, but the vibes the guy was putting out were definitely not friendly. So, where is Mahalena? I said forcefully. No response. Instead, the old guy continued taking objects out of his pack and placing them carefully in a semicircle on a patch of bare ground. The man was obviously a brujo of some sort. Was he here to help with the ceremony that Abierta had mentioned? He was now squatting on the ground and chanting over that glass jar he'd brought. Then he grabbed the jar, came to his feet and walked toward me, his chant going wild with ceremonial fervor. The liquid inside the jar was that same thick red color and stark nasty odor that Abierta had offered me and I'd refused. And again I knew in my gut that there was no way I was going to quaff that particular brew. The old geezer stood there a long moment. Then he suddenly chugged the red concoction himself and afterward stood there making no sound, just staring upward at nothing in particular, 
as if stunned by his own action. For a moment, I thought the stuff must have been poison, but then the guy slowly started to recover. Turning in a low, knee-bent move away from me, his body started to gyrate at the hips, and then as he turned back to face me, his mouth uttered some hostile guttural sound. Suddenly he leapt forward at me with his arms high and fists clenched as if to strike. I reflexively recoiled backwards, nearly losing my footing. I heard a loud snapping sound inside my own head and noticed my inner vision shifting so that I saw the man in front of me quite differently than before. He seemed taller, younger, and with a facial expression that was almost a mask, scowling at me with sharp yellow teeth bared. I was afraid he might actually bite, but then he just laughed, as if pleased that he'd scared young Gringo. He then backed off some distance away. My eyes followed his rough rhythmic movements as he performed some slow hand movement ceremony over his pack, then reached in and came out with a sharp machete. Letting out a wild whoop, he maneuvered the sword masterfully through the air with long, slow, rhythmic swipes, acting out some ritual I couldn't quite follow, but which gave me the distinct feeling that I might be in actual danger from this weird guy. He was obviously a master with the machete, and I realized he could make a quick move and with one fell swoop of the blade literally cut my head right off my shoulders. Where the fuck was Mahi, anyway? With the rhythmic swinging of the sword in front of my face, the brujo started making a high yipping sound. I felt my arm and leg muscles go slack, my breathing slow down. The guy was coming closer and closer with his swinging blade. Mai, my mind cried out. Help, where are you? The brujo seemed to hear my inner cry. He turned abruptly and glanced down at the lake in the distance, then looked back to me and made another violent movement with the machete, slicing through the air just a foot or less above my head. This was no joke. I was beginning to suspect that the guy fully intended to ceremonially kill me on the spot. Furthermore, unless something quickly shifted or Mahi appeared, I probably had no real power to stop him. The sword's movements were becoming more and more hypnotizing, as if it was some kind of energy rather than a thing, swooping with a glint of the sun through the air, as if taking on a life all its own. I watched spellbound as the brujo before me seemed to become even larger, his eyes flaming with a molten energy that came swirling into my own mind, then moved fast down into my heart. Everything inside and outside now seemed to look blood-red in my inner vision, and I realized that the rhythm of the attacker's chanting was now perfectly in sync with my own heartbeat which was becoming louder and louder in my ears. I watched the blade swing again, 
this time lashing through the air just inches from my face, and I felt myself on the verge of finally reacting, perhaps doing something totally unexpected. I didn't know what, but I knew I wasn't going to just surrender and be a passive ceremonial victim. Then the maniac became temporarily still, holding the machete in both hands as if ready to finish the ceremony with a fatal swing. I glanced around for something I could hit back with and saw a pine stick on the ground. I made a quick move, jumped over to my left, and grabbed the thing. It felt heavy and solid, about four feet long. I held it with the tapered point, aimed at the guy. He was now slowly closing the distance between us while keeping himself higher up the hill. You so-called nocalito, the old man was mumbling at me in Spanish. Now I put an end to you, so that the true nocalito can perform the appointed ceremony. Let us dance your final dance together. Bow your head, he said, and allow me to perform what I must perform. Go to hell, I said as I finally put two and two together. You must be Alejandro. He stopped, feet wide apart, holding the distinct warrior advantage of being higher up the rock-strewn hill than I was. I am the true Nocalito, and you are nothing more than a lost soul from a long-dead tradition. Bow down now, as I open the way. Over my dead body, I growled at him. Yes, this is now your moment to die. He slowly raised his machete high into the air, preparing to initiate his final attack. Something in that physical movement provoked another loud snap inside my head. Everything became brighter, lucid, all the colors sharper, even the air itself seemed to be vibrating with energy. Just then, Mahi pushed into my mind, and my eyes glanced over toward the bay, and at that exact moment, Alejandro attacked. My eyes watched him come as if in slow motion, allowing plenty of time for me to move in a quick feint to the left, then sharply to the right. I stepped just beyond the tip of the swinging blade, and swung my stick, clobbering my attacker solidly in the groin. Alejandro gave out an agonized scream and went rolling downhill twenty feet, then off over a little cliff, landing with a dull thump and a final sudden cry of pain. Working my way in my hiking boots down the rocks, I stood looking at where he lay. From that close vantage point, I could see lots of blood and the machete's blade sticking at least six inches into the dead Brujo's chest. A whole slew of battling emotions and thoughts and gut reactions tried to gain dominance in my mind as I remained frozen, staring at the lifeless body. <sighs> that could just as easily have been me dead, not him. My bones were still shaking, but I felt I had to get distance from the visual atrocity, so I turned and headed up the steep incline till I came to a low, flat rock where I couldn't see Alejandro. Still wearing my backpack, 
I sat down and looked out over the bay below me. I just sat there, doing and thinking absolutely nothing. And at some point, an almost soothing sensation of fog engulfed my awareness. I was almost not present at all. It felt as if my life flow had come to an end. I had no sense of a future. I was just entirely numb. Finally, I started to regain a touch of my normal senses. First, my hearing tuned into the sound of small birds flittering around in the trees here and there along the slope. The afternoon shokomil was picking up, sighing high up in those same trees, and I could hear a solitary cricket chirping away steadily and quite loudly somewhere over to my left. Life was continuing. I could hear my heart pounding loud in my ears. I realized I was holding my breath at the bottom of an inhale. I sucked in some fresh, cool Atitlan air. Then, without any warning, I burst into tears, shaking like an amorphous lump, sobbing away like a destitute two-year-old, until, finally, I'd discharged every ounce of pent-up emotion. I shifted into drying my eyes and sniffling myself back into some semblance of normal. After all, that guy down there had deserved to die. He'd been plaguing this lake, and goddamn, he'd done his level best to chop my head off. It had been him or me, and I hadn't even performed the ultimate act of slaughter. He'd fallen on his own sword. Those babbling thoughts dried up, and I was again just sitting there, praying for Mahi to appear. For a strange moment, I was back with La Vieja in her bedroom in Baja, hearing her telling me loud and clear, You must love yourself, Juanito mio. You must open. We shall be with you. Then her presence was gone. I opened my backpack and, without thinking, took out both the jade phallus and the round, smooth stone I'd chosen in El Maestro's garden. I unwrapped the jade, put it upright on its cloth, then placed my rough stone right beside it, volcanic black and jade green, upright erection and edgeless sphere, male and female. Mahi or no Mahi, I knew what had to be done. Just smash the goddamn thing to smithereens. Use El Maestro's ceremonial stone to obliterate any lingering presence and power of Alejandro. I took the heavy sphere into both hands, looked out over the bay where the Shokomiya was whipping tiny waves across the blue surface. I knew if I thought about what I was going to do, I'd stop. Mahi should be the one to decide, but I could feel power flowing into my arms.